You are listening to the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. I'm your host, Mike Petchy. What's new? How are you guys? Uh, how you feeling? Uh, you are dealing with a host today that, uh, like a dumbass, uh, didn't stay asleep last night. I uh, went to bed early thinking that I'd get a good night's sleep. And uh, I don't know if you guys have had the same thing happen to you. But, uh, you know, being in my 40s at this point, I wake up to piss like clockwork. So I was up to piss at about, I don't know, 2.30, 3 o'clock. And uh, I was up just a fraction too long. I was standing there waiting for the rest of the urine to drain from my body. Uh, and I started to think about stuff. And I started to think about ideas. And I started to process an idea that I want to work on and um i started to fall down into that hole of overthinking which then led to me going into a deeper hole on youtube and doing research and uh you know whenever i come up with late night ideas i'm always afraid that i'm gonna lose them right because then you sit there you're in bed looking at it at the ceiling and you're like fuck i've got this Oh, what if it's like this? What if it, okay, okay, okay. And then you run it through your brain a few times. And you're like, all right, all right, all right. And your, your brain starts firing. Your brain starts firing like that V8. And then you're just, oh, uh, how do I, 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 I got to remember this. So I, I get out of bed and I go in the other room and I start writing notes down on a pad of paper. And the next thing you know, it's fucking 4 a.m. And now it's four o'clock and now I'm wide awake. And I try everything that I have at my disposal to put myself under. Like, all right, stop thinking about everything. If I write it all down, I'm not going to think anymore about it. it. Like, it's there. It's safe. I'll remember it. It'll be on this pad tomorrow. I can figure out this chicken scratch. So let's go to sleep. Throw in those fucking, uh, what do I use? Um, goddamn uh, ear protection because uh, Gina likes to snore. We know this. <laughs> I love how that's a regular on the show. Uh, but uh, you have to throw in my ear protection and I'm like, okay, cool. Which in itself, if you guys haven't tried it yet, I actually found like these really great soft uh, inner ear uh, ear protection that uh, really knock out all the sound. So it's like being in like a sensory deprivation tank. Uh, so when you throw those things in, my dreams are fucking crazy vivid. It's it, like I'm addicted to it terribly at this point because now I, ha I constantly have to use them. Um, but, uh, yeah, I threw those in that didn't work. My, my mind was just racing, racing, coming up with all sorts of ideas and thinking about the movies that I loved and thinking about films that I want to see more of. Um, and, uh, it felt good, believe it or not. And, uh, even though it feels like shit now, <laughs> because I've literally only had, I don't know, five hours of sleep, four hours of sleep. So you guys are going to have to deal with that on this show. But um, it just, it felt good to start thinking about things, thinking about ideas again and, and sort of, you know, shaking the rust off, you know, turning the crank on that engine and letting it pump that oil out of the pan back into those pistons and get that creativity going. And um, yeah, yeah, it was good. It was really good. Anyway, how are you guys? What's going on? I don't know if you noticed, but last week uh, I put out just um, our music episode, which was, uh, what did we do last week? You're going to get a lot of this today. The, uh, what did we do? 
yes, my brain doesn't have the power to maintain more than five words in front of my mouth right now. So it's going to be an exciting episode. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, yeah. We did a music showcase on Claude Electro. Now, it wasn't a full episode. I know. And uh, I'm not going to apologize for it because your boy who works really hard all the time uh, went on a mini vacation last week. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Fuck. <coughs> Jesus. <laughs> I'm joking. Yeah, me and Gina uh, packed bags uh, and we drove up the coast of California. We did about five hours north, five and a half hours north. Um uh, of Los Angeles. And, uh, we went up to Monterey. Uh, we got to check out, uh, the, uh, aquarium up there, which was fucking really cool. I mean, there's an aquarium back in Boston, which is great, but this one was just so immersive. I don't know if you guys have been to the aquarium up at Monterey, but, uh, it, man, it's gorgeous. There's like huge tanks. They have this really cool feeding session where two divers went down into the tanks. And I was more fascinated with the divers than I was with the fish, right? You see a fish, you see all fish. <laughs> but the divers were cool to me. And these guys, they're volunteer divers. And I was really sort of infatuated uh, with, I mean, it was like being in an IMAX theater because it was this massive pane of glass and I'm sitting on the floor. It's like me sitting amongst like all like these like 10 year olds. <laughs> <laughs> I was completely immersed with this. And Gina laughed at me at one point because the diver and the woman that was hosting the thing had sort of this routine worked out where he like waves at the audience. And I just invol involuntarily waved back at him. And she's, Gina was like, he's waving at the kids. <laughs> uh, but I was completely engrossed with it. And I liked, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of like, um, you know, accessories and layers on workers, on dudes, on characters. And I really was into the amount of <laughs> the amount of pouches. And I know before you guys start making Rob Layfield jokes and fucking comic jokes, it was cool. He had like these, it was like almost like underwater wetsuit cargo pants with all like these little pouches and nooks and crannies for tools that he was using. Um, it was just cool. It looked really fucking rad. Uh, and I, I, I felt like a 10 year old kid again. Maybe it's cause I was surrounded by a bunch of, you know, probably sick kids and, uh, just, you know, staring at this guy who's like pulling calamari out of a bag and feeding it to sharks. You know, <laughs> it was cool. It was fun. It was a fun thing to see. Um, the drive was fun. I, I love, uh, doing a short drive. Uh, and you know, when we initially were going to go up North, we were like, Hey, let's take route one all the way up. Cause I fucking love route one. Uh, but we ended up leaving too late on the day that we were going to go and route one would have taken us like seven hours or whatever it was. So we ended up going up, I think the one one and then we went sort of more towards the center of California. And I'll tell you this, there's a section of highway that is a nightmare. It's just like a relentless street straight line. Like you look on your, I was looking on the GPS and I'm just zooming out as much as I could. And I'm like, this line stays straight for an hour and a half. It doesn't move. It doesn't have a curve. And it was all farmland. You know, we're driving past vineyards. We're driving past, I think it was like lettuce fields, um, all sorts of stuff. Uh, but it was just straight, straight farmland. Uh, at one point we ended up getting off an exit to go get some gas. 
um, and uh, just sort of drove through this amazing farmland. And it's crazy. It's all flat. It's insane being someone that comes from an area that has always had hills. Like you never really can see further than, you know, whatever it is, a half mile, because this is always a hill. So you never know what's coming. And there's something exciting about that. You never know what's coming around the bend or what's coming through these trees or the future is always changing for you. But when you're in like this, like super flat landscape, I, I can imagine it must get depressing, you know, because you could see everything. You just look out there for fucking like, you know, 40 miles. And you're like, well, there's uh, nothing out there. <laughs> uh, and it makes you feel really small. Um, and, you know, we were just sort of driving through these fields that were massive and so well put together. And the business behind, you know, farmland and like mass farming, everything is just perfectly road. And it was wild. It was, it was, it, it reminded me of uh, the, the latest Blade Runner movie when uh, Ryan Gosling's flying over like those giant fields of uh, solar panels. It was kind of that. It was pretty crazy. Um, we ended up on that highway for a bit, about an hour and change. And then uh, we ended up going up through mountains, which were gorgeous. We saw like huge fucking birds. I don't know if they were like hawks or, or eagles. I don't know what they were, um, but they were massive. And um, I was driving in this, this big old drug dealer car. <laughs> it looked like a drug dealer car. It was essentially this big Chrysler. What was the brand? It was a Chrysler 300S. Um, and before you give me shit, I know I did a whole prior episode and how everything needs to be electric and it's got to be electric cars. I'm with that. I'm still with that. I still believe in everything becoming electric. We're just not there yet to the point where I went to rent a vehicle. I don't know if you guys deal with this with car rental places, but I went to rent a vehicle and they give you like specific classes and I'm like, okay, I want to get this specific Nissan because I know the fucking fuel mileage on it is amazing. It'll get me a long distance um, and it's got great pickup. It's a good car to have on the highway. You need to have, by the way, an aggressive vehicle on the highways out here in California, especially in fucking Los Angeles. And that's just to survive. That's just to go from one lane to the next because everybody is so fucking aggressive out here the way they drive and every day. You start to get more and more used to it as you live here in Los Angeles, but fuck, man, I noticed it as I started to get out of Los Angeles, uh, driving north, and then when I came back in, it's like you cross that county line and suddenly it's fucking death race. <laughs> it's nuts. It's just specifically Los Angeles County where everybody in the city drives like a motherfucking warrior. It's like road warrior shit. You know, you come over a hill and there's a guy wearing like feathers and just a motorcycle outfit with his bare chest screaming at you. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's nuts. And those of you listening that live in Los Angeles know what the fuck I'm talking about. It's like Battle Zone 1000. And when you start to get back into Glendale, holy fuck, it's land of the U-turn. Random, no blinker, fucking U-turns. Hmm. Look at this rant. This dude just went on a vacation and he's ranting about the driving. <laughs> um, so yeah, so we, I, I ended up in this large vehicle, this Chrysler 300, and the fuel mileage was okay, uh, but it was all they had. 
So I had to take it because I was like, hey, look, I want this class. He goes, oh, well, any car kind of like that car. I'm like, I, I asked specifically on the phone. He goes, yeah, but we haven't had one of those in the lot for, I don't know, like six months. Why do you still have it on your website? How come that happens? So anyway, ended up in this Chrysler, which reminded me because of its, it has like these big old doors that swing out, uh, big old hood, big old grill. And these guys had it all pimped out. So it had like, you know, super dark uh, rally rims and like chromed headlights and not chromed, but uh, uh, fucking tinted headlights, tinted fucking windows, black, straight black all the way through. I posted a picture of it on my Instagram at Mike Petra. You guys can go check it out. But it was like a drug dealer car. The guy joked when I dropped it off. He's like, did you get pulled over? Did people think you were a drug dealer? I'm like, oh, probably. <laughs> probably. Um, but um, yeah, it was fun. And as I was driving it, it, it harkened back to uh, the cars from my youth. The cars with the big old doors, uh, the old A body types. Um, the, you know, we're talking like uh, the GM models. Uh, all of the, the, uh, Monte Carlos, the Grand Prix, the Grand Nationals, the old Cutlasses, the 442s. Do you guys remember these cars? All from the eighties. Some of the coolest fucking cars that came out. And it was like, eh, I want to say like 84 through 89 in that range. Um, really fucking badass vehicles. I always loved those cars. And growing up, I wanted to be, uh, the, a kid that owned, you know, the SS. So the Monte Carlo SS was the the coolest looking uh, and the most affordable. Um, and I know it comes with all sorts of stigma. You're like, oh, your last name is Pesci. Right, right. The Italian fucking stallion. Yeah, I got it. But it was more than that. It was, it was a cool fucking car because we grew up watching, you know, fucking Road Warrior and shit. And of course, I had a huge love for the cars from the 70s. But at that point, as a kid... Those cars from the 70s were becoming classic cars. Those were becoming refurbished, very expensive vehicles. And uh, I was lucky enough to work uh, with my best friend's dad for years growing up, I think from the age of 13, in his garage. Uh, and we worked on all that stuff. We used to refurbish like old Stingrays. We used to refurbish um, uh, Corvettes and um, we did a DeLorean once, we did a speedboat once. So I had my hands and all that kind of stuff, which was as like a 13, 14, 15 year old kid, it's the coolest fucking thing in the world. Um, and I remember wanting to get my hands on one of these A-framed vehicles. Uh, of course, dream vehicle for me was like, I think it was like a 1968 GTO Judge. Was it 68 or 69? Fucking love that car. Love how big that car was and how big the front seat was. Um, and just like the, the muscle in that vehicle. Uh, and I don't know if you guys have done it. And I, there's so many of you listening that are very young on the show. And a lot of you have never even been in a vehicle that was a V8. And by no means am I saying that they should bring back the V8s, that they should bring back that stuff. I don't even know. If the Chrysler was a V8, I think it was a V6 that I was driving around. Um, but when you're in a V8 and you're in a vehicle where it has such big explosions happening within that cast iron or whatever, um, you feel it and it roars. And it's like you have, it's like you're, it's like you're riding a fucking werewolf. 
You know what I mean? It's like you've got like this fucking barbed chain around the fucking throat of a werewolf and you climb on the saddle in the back and you dig your spur into its side and it fucking growls, right? That's what it felt like in those old cars. And they were cool as shit. I mean, not cool enough to destroy the fucking ozone and kill us off as a species, but, you know, let's be nostalgic for a moment. Really fucking rad, you know? I, I would say the closest thing to it, not even the Fast and Furious movies, they don't do a good job with it. I think the one guy that does a great job with it as a director on screen is George Miller. 100% George Miller. He knows how to capture a V8 on screen and he fucking kills it. Man, in that, uh, in the Fury Road, ah, we've talked about it on prior episodes. I've gotten nerdy about this stuff. Go back and listen. Um, but just that opening shot with the uh, interceptor that he drives, which is, a, I think it's an Australian-specific vehicle. That's very much an Australian-specific vehicle, which kind of looked a little bit like a Charger with a fastback or a Challenger with a fastback. It kind of fit into that realm of muscle cars. But man, when he starts that car up in the opening, oh. You know, and it isn't, maybe there's some testosterone involved, but more than anything, there's like that 15 year old, 13 year old kid that like, you know, wants to capture a fucking dragon and ride it to work. You know what I mean? And, you know, as they get older, a lot of dudes, you know, cross into their forties and fifties and they're like, Hey, I'm going to get a fucking Harley. And a lot of people get that from bikes and motorcycles. I don't. I know right off the bat that if I get onto a motorcycle, I'm going to fucking kill myself. And if I don't kill myself, I'll be so good at not killing myself and some asshole will do a fucking U-turn as I go to the grocery store and murder me on it. I need to have layers and layers of steel, sheet metal, although these days mostly plastic, around me to try to protect my ass as I go out there into this world as I go out into the fucking road warrior battle that is driving through Los Angeles. Um, but yeah, yeah. So as I was driving for five hours, five and a half hours, I was thinking about all this stuff and I was feeling this car underneath me and this guy, let me look and see, what does this Chrysler have? It's the Chrysler 300S. What does it have for an engine? I didn't even look. But I know when I hit that fucking gas pedal, uh, it was a lot bigger than the goddamn engine in my fucking Subaru. I'll tell you that. Uh, let's see. Engine size. What are you guys rocking in this? It's a V6. Okay. Not many people make V8s anymore. I think like Chevy kind of like still does that shit. Uh, but it was a 3.5 liter V6, which, uh, yeah, 250 horsepower. But not bad. Not not amazing, but not bad. And the thing was uh, pretty uh, pretty cool. It was pretty cool to hit the gas and and feel that uh, fucking energy, feel that strength come out of the damn thing. And look, I'm I'm trying not to romanticize these things. I'm just letting you know it felt good. Okay, like I know I'm not supposed to eat sausages every week. It just feels good when I do. I know I'm not supposed to, but just give me this. Let me feel this for a hot second. And then, yes, we'll get back on the electric car bandwagon and I'll still push that stuff. But like, ah, there's something cool about the romance of that nostalgia. And that's what I'm feeling right now. 
Um, so yeah, drove north, went to Monterey. Really uh, interesting place. It felt a lot like the Cape, Cape Cod to me. Like up there felt very much like the Cape. Uh, those of you from like Boston or the East Coast, you know what I'm talking about. Like very sort of vacation towny, uh, very much a port area or, or like a boating area. Um, and uh, I think Monterey was known for sardines. It's pretty insane. What we saw when we went to the aquarium, they had uh, schools of these sardines and these tanks and they were so beautiful. They're like these little chrome like Spitfire airplanes that all sort of move together. And apparently they have uh, some sort of sensory device on their head that without even thinking, they can register displacement in the water around them so that they're never uh, touching each other. So they move in these crazy swarms. And as I was staring at them transfixed, I'm like, ah, this is what they looked at when they designed the stuff for the Matrix, when they designed those squid robots for the Matrix. That's really what they were looking at were these sardines. Um, by the way, how cool is the new fucking Matrix trailer? Are you guys excited? I'm pumped. I like I'm look, here here are the signs that I like that I've seen so far. One, I like the mystery element that they're bringing back to it cuz I think that was the strongest aspect of the first Matrix movie. You didn't know what the fuck it was, you didn't know what the fuck was going on. There was a sense of mystery to it. They're doing the same thing with Neo, where it's like What's his deal? Does he not remember anything that's going on? Why is he taking a bunch of blue pills? Is he depressed? Is he bummed out because his love of his life is dead? But she's not dead. She's in this thing. What's happening? So there's this sense of mystery that I really, really dig. I'm curious about what happened with Morpheus um, and why, uh, what's his name? The original Morpheus isn't in it. I'm curious about that. Uh, a lot of curiosity with it. I will say this though. It doesn't look... Hmm. And this is going to be an interesting statement. It doesn't look as intentionally composed as the original did. As far as like cinematography is concerned, as far as like the shots are concerned. But I'm taking it with a grain of salt because we've only seen a few things from a trailer. But do you remember? One of the things I love about the original Matrix was that it was very much graphic novel designed as far as their shot compositions as far as all that was concerned, I really liked how purposeful each and every one of those frames were and what they meant. Um, and this feels a little bit different. A lot of weird handheld in it. It almost skirts the line of feeling like TV. There's a couple of shots in there that kind of feel like that, which start to feel like, what were those series that the Wachowskis were doing on Netflix? Not Session 9, but Section something. It starts to feel a little bit like that, you know? which I'm hoping it doesn't go that route because this fucking thing's going to be released on HBO Max at the same time that it's going to be in quote-unquote theaters. So um, let's not curve too much towards the TV. Let's still make this a spectacle, right? Like, hopefully this is going to still be a spectacle. But that's just me being pre-cynical. I'm excited that it's happening. Looks really cool. Keanu looks cool. Everybody looks great. Looks rad. Very excited about that. Um, but yeah, I was thinking about that as I was staring at these little sardines swimming around. And uh, the fascinating thing about Monterey is that apparently what they did in the day, back in the day, there were so many of these little fucking fish swimming around that they would just throw a guy in one of those old school diving outfits, which essentially was like a 1950s space monster. <laughs> you know what I mean? Weighted boots, you know, like that. 
that uh, that iron grill like helmet that goes down, and then there's just long straw, long tube of oxygen that runs to him, and he would just walk around with this giant suction net and just like suck all these fucking things up and uh, pound them into tins, and that was like what Monterey was was known for, which was kind of ironic as I was standing there in line at the aquarium going. I bet you this fucking aquarium was sponsored by this company that used to suck the fuck out of this ocean and steal all these fish and murder all these fish. I bet you that's the deal, you know? Oh, yeah, no, we were good. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, but anyway, yeah, it was fun. We uh, went, hung out with uh, some of Gina's family that was up there and then uh, got to, uh, um, you know, just relax, which was needed because I just wrapped that that new project that's coming out which I think I'll be able to talk more about it maybe next week because I think it's going to premiere at the end of the month. Um, so I'll have information for you guys once I can give you guys information, which is hopefully soon. Keep your eyes peeled on my Instagram um, and I'll be posting stuff about that. Um, but uh, yeah, got to fucking chill. It was just nice. Drive up there, relax a bit, and then... Uh, we broke away and because it's on route one, I've got such a love affair with a coast of California. Um, I love San Francisco and years and years ago, I had done a trip to San Francisco and drove down the coast route one for like an hour, hour and change and found like this beautiful beach, this amazing little cove. Um, and then years later was so inspired by that beach when we were doing the Kill Switch Engage Always video, I was like, man, that would be a great fucking place to uh, shoot down that coast. And that video enabled us to actually drive. And I spent a solid five days with uh, my good buddy Tony and Jarvis. And we got to drive up and down that coast and, and climb over every sort of dune and look at the coastline and look at the cliffs and find the perfect cliffs to shoot on. Um, and really sort of, between San Francisco and Santa Cruz, I know every inch of that coast of Route 1 because of that location scouting. And I never really made it past Santa Cruz. Always wanted to get out into Big Sur. Always wanted to get down to the next bit. So when we had the opportunity to drive up, I was excited because I get to connect the dots, right? I get to start where I ended, essentially. You know, uh, Santa Cruz was probably about a 45 minutes, an hour north of where we were. So I got to pick up. So we went and hung out in Monterey for a few days. And then we drove down and drove down towards Big Sur one day. And man, fuck, it's so gorgeous. Have you guys done the Big Sur thing? The coastline is just epic. Huge, huge fucking cliffs, huge cliffs. What happens is you wake up in the morning, it's super fucking cloudy, it's strangely foggy, um, and eventually the sun will burn off. But as we drove down to Big Sur, there was this mist, and we're high up in these cliffs. Uh, don't ask me how high they are, but they're, they're fucking high, okay? And you're driving along the edge of these things, and you're doing these twists and turns, and you're driving over like these really skinny, huge bridges that are super scary, and there's this... It, there's this mist that's just rolling over the street, rolling up, up the mountains that are right there. And it looks like someone's just running like massive fucking foggers. It's just rolling. So goddamn cool. 
and you're driving through this mist and you're driving through this haze and then you start to break into like these huge cliff faces and this breaking surf, no beach, just like the Pacific pounding, pounding into the coast, you know, huge fucking waves and you're driving through this stuff and then it starts to become very fairy tale like and you start to get into like these very dark and thick wooded areas which was super cool driving into that feel like you're driving into like you know a sleepy hollow film and uh we started to hit big sur and i was like super cool and we were, we're a little hungry at that point and we pulled over into this like little uh convenience like country store market kind of thing and went in there and it turns out right next door was uh a restaurant that you can normally go into but but they had it the entire restaurant reserved for the porsche club <laughs> which by the way when you do this drive there's a lot of d-bags <laughs> there's a lot of like big expensive porsche club dudes and guys that are getting out there with their very expensive manhood extensions and driving these things like like crazy animals um, yeah, there was at one point I'm like, there's like 40 Porsches in front of us. Oh yeah. It was like some Porsche club, bunch of guys getting together and, you know, pulling down their flies, getting excited, you know? <laughs> um, but anyway, we, we found this like really cool little restaurant spot and we were allowed to go out back and they had these really cool tables. And then beyond the deck, there was this river that just ran and, these guys did the coolest thing. They had wooden lounge chairs, the kind of lounge chairs that you'd find on the porch of like a country house, you know what I mean? And they had these just sitting in the river and it's a very shallow, slow running river. And so you can order your lunch, your drinks, there's a bar right there and you can just go sit in the river. Every once in a while, you walk into a place like that and I'm a guy that does bar safaris. You know this, I'm a guy that does, I've been to like, hundreds hundreds of bars throughout the country throughout the world and uh you're in this spot and you're like this is fucking special this is special under a canopy of trees just amazing strange birds running around super cool man it was such a great afternoon in the big sur um then we drove uh, a little bit south and we went to carmel by the sea which was nice for those of you uh, from Boston area. It felt like a new Seabury, you know, like you can tell there was a lot of money here, you know, a lot of white wealth, let's put it that way, but there was a lot of money here. Um, and uh, it was nice. The beaches were nice. The area was nice. Supposedly it had really great Italian food and I was hunting for that. Didn't really find it, uh, but we ate a lot of seafood, a lot of great seafood. I'm trying to think, what, what what was the best meal that we had? I had like this really good swordfish sandwich that was phenomenal. Um, what else did I have? Oh, we had, uh, we went to this tiki spot that was fucking great, actually. I had this really great pabil. It was like, sort of like a Hawaiian style pork pabil with more like a, a, like a sweet soy sauce flavor. So it was like a pulled pork. Oh, so good. So good. And they actually did a coleslaw that I liked, which was a lot of like apple cider vinegar and all that kind of stuff. Really cool. 
really fun, fun trip. So we ended up doing that. And then on the way home, which we often do, is we get so attached to driving back or at the vacation and we're like, let's just stop somewhere else and spend another night. And so we checked ourselves in to a hotel in Santa Barbara. Now, I'd never been to Santa Barbara. And I randomly just picked it out on the map. And I think more than anything else, it was just the time driving home. And I'm like, ah, it's like three hours down. Let's go here. We'll spend the night there. And then we can do the, the hour and change in the morning. That won't be a big deal. So we picked Santa Barbara. And I did a little research and I found this hotel that turns out um, was uh, Charlie Chaplin's place. So he had set up, him and a bunch of investors had got into business together and set up this hotel, which was really cool. And I was like, why the fuck is Charlie Chaplin? And then I started to do the research and I was like, oh, right. Santa Barbara was the original home of filmmaking. I had no idea. Um, and it was home to California's first major movie studio, Flying A Studios. Uh, at Flying A, they produced hundreds of silent films. That was all done in Santa Barbara in the early 1920s. Uh, which is pretty fucking cool. I had no idea. I mean, the town's a little bit different now. It's sort of become, at least the area that I was in, it felt sort of, uh, I don't want to say like a retirement community, but it was definitely, mm, average age there was like mm, 50 older. And, uh, you know, everything closes at like nine o'clock at night. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. But it was cool. It was relaxing. It was it was pretty awesome. The hotel was was sweet. Had a nice pool. We got to hang out and go swimming. Um, and then I was just sort of sitting around going like, okay, well, what's the deal? Why was Santa Barbara first? Um, and so I started to do a little research. Let me see if I can dig it up here. I'll dig up what I was reading because I found it fucking fascinating. And I think you guys will too. Do, 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 All right. I'm going to read some stuff. So this is an article I found online. Um... It's all about like Cecil DeMille traveling out here to California to make a movie. Um, and uh, let's see. Do, 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 do. Hold on a second. In 1911, the moving picture World Trade magazine boasted that 320 days of years of ideal motion picture photography weather could be expected in Southern California. So at first they like to say that that was the reason they came out here, right? Uh, while New York, New Jersey, and Chicago had served as centers of early film production, director-led shoot unit, shooting units started to seek out uh, locations that could provide reliable year-round sunshine in such places like Louisiana, Florida. Uh, the humidity and tropical storms caused seasonal problems, uh, but not in California. In 1911, Moving Picture magazine boasted that they had weather good for 320 days a year. Um, Los Angeles was also known at the time as the, here's the kicker. Los Angeles was also known at the time as the capital of open shop, non-union labor, where business could exploit cheap workers in large numbers. What do you know? Uh, from film historian Robert uh, Sklar writes that as the studios moved into feature production and built more elaborate and authentic sets. They needed skilled crafts workers, carpenters, electricians, dressmakers, and many other specialists, making labor costs, lower labor costs, a chief concern for studio bankers. Sound familiar? 
Um, on Squaw, on Squaw Man, which is the movie that uh, DeMille was working on, I uh, noted that the wages for carpenters and other service personnel were 25 to 50% cheaper than on the East Coast. Yeah, it's because of the weather you guys came out here. Right. Uh, <clears throat> let's see. Beep, 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 beep. There's also this thing. Filmmakers in the, uh, from the early industry also arrived in Southern California after fleeing in mass from Thomas Alva Edison and his motion picture patents company, commonly known as The Trust, which held patents on motion picture processing and projection equipment. The Trust's aggressive and intimidating demands for licensing fees sent filmmakers to Hollywood, where they could supposedly beat it across the Mexican border <laughs> when agents of the motion picture of the motion picture parents company came into the they came to serve subpoenas. Wow, you barely got that out. Um, however, that Mexico was a five-hour drive from Los Angeles in those days to make the trip would have cost at least a day's production while legal papers would be served in business. Blah, 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 blah. So yeah, there's the rumor that they were here to bail. And there's also something to be said about the distance between Los Angeles and New York uh, so that they didn't have to pay patents. Strange, right? Does it sound familiar? Does it sound familiar? Um, continuing on this article, when filmmakers started shooting in Southern California, they found many further advantages that kept them there. Variety of geographical lo locations with small radius mountains, desert sea, and different architectural styles that could convey a broad range of settings. On top of that, land was inexpensive and available. Movie makers built places in, uh, in factories, acquiring land from uh, Lincoln Heights and San Fernando Valley, uh, from Echo Park to Santa Monica. Um, let's see if there's anything else here. At the beginning of World War I, when Hollywood truly became a movie capital, films were needed to replace European products. Uh, more efficiently, production facilities were needed to make them, more money was needed to finance them, and more theaters were needed to show them. It was only at this point that Hollywood began to designate the, uh, or to set up the entire movie-making machine. Pretty interesting, right? Um, I also heard, I don't know how true this is, but I also heard that one of the reasons why they moved from Santa Barbara down into the Hollywood area was that there was an earthquake. Don't quote me on this, but there was an earthquake or something that happened that destroyed a lot of the buildings. And then there was some sort of, um, uh, I, I don't want to say like, um, there was like some sort of creed from the, from the locals that they had to build a specific way that was going to cost them a specific amount of money. And of course, these people were like, oh, get the fuck out of there. We'll get down where we can build whatever we want and it won't cost us as much. So long story short... <laughs> Uh, the movie business has always been this way, right? Has always been about money and, uh, trying to save money and trying to find ways to cut corners. And you've heard me talk about, uh, how the music industry has done that. The music video industry has done that. Hey, it's not going to be on, on TV. MTV doesn't exist anymore. Why would I give you that much money? Um, and it's still continuing today all the way down to, uh, IATSE and, uh, the possible strike. That's going to happen. I don't know if you guys have heard about this. Um, let me see if I can read you some stuff on this. So this is modern. Like, like what has it been? Over 100 years? And it's still the same shit. IOTC is gearing up for a possible strike against the film and television industry, which will be the first industry-wide strike in the union's history. The union and management's 
uh, AMPTP will return to the bargaining table on Thursday. When did this come out? Hold on. Let me see. This was September 8th, uh, uh, 2021. We'll return to the bargaining table on Thursday in an effort to reach an agreement on a new film and TV contract in advance of Friday uh, expiration on their current deal. Uh, it looks like, let me see here. Do, 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 do. Top, cinema, top cinematographers call on producers to address brutally long work days uh, in their contracts. Uh, this is the first time the word strike has appeared in any of the union's communication. It represents more than uh, 150,000 workers in live theater, motion picture, TV production. Jesus. Um, of course, on August 31st, the two sides remain very far apart. This always is the case, right? I think that, you know, you're dealing with like big business that wants to make as much money as they possibly can. And then you're dealing with, <laughs> you know, an organized group of, of really angry workers. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a power struggle. Uh, but I agree with this. What they are looking for includes shorter work days, livable wages, sustainable pension and health benefits, and new media rates that will reflect the success of the streaming companies. Um, yeah, it just, you guys are all crew people, right? A lot of you guys are crew people, you know. Every time you work on a job, it's always the end of the world. And being someone that puts together jobs, being someone that's pitching on jobs, it really comes from the top. And if you go back and you listen to all the episodes about pitching that we've done, all the episodes about uh, writing concepts and uh, approaching clients, the, the system itself is set up on almost like a begging system where there are so many people in the marketplace, there are so many producers in the marketplace that everybody is out to try to get the gig. Right. And you usually, if you're doing corporate stuff, you've got like a three bid system where it's like lowest bid wins. <laughs> and so from the top, that's how it starts. It's a very rare occasion where a client will agree to pay you what it's worth. I just did something where the client agreed to pay what it was worth and it was fucking wonderful. But it's a very rare occasion that it happens. And so what, what does happen is, is that you have to build these pitches to be amazing. Like it has to be the content that the client expects. And oftentimes the client will go in and expect it to be a Hollywood production with no money, but a Hollywood production, right? And so you go in there and it's this many setups, this many shots, this much stuff that needs to be gathered for the piece. And that's the pitch. And then in order for me to win the bid, I have to promise to match uh, if not come cheaper than the other person, and if I'm more expensive than the other person, then I have to be delivering three or four or five different things on top of that. And so from the start, it's always very difficult to, to A, schedule a day that is reasonable, and then B, pay wages that are reasonable. And I don't know how many times I've dealt with clients that are like, this is a non-union gig. And you're like, well, why does that matter? Oh, because you don't want to pay for all that stuff. Right. But you're a huge fucking client. Uh, right. So I get it, man. I totally get it. I get the urgency um, from the crew to do this because you're talking about health stuff. 
And sure, if you're younger and you're just starting and you go do a 12 hour day, you go do a 15 hour day, um, you work on some stuff once a, once a week or twice a week or once a month, twice a month, it doesn't feel like a big deal. Imagine if you're on a feature job. Imagine if you're on a feature shoot and, and if you're doing one of the big boys, you know, you're doing three or four months, six day weeks, and they offer you, they say, hey, look, we'll pay the overtime, we'll pay the stuff. Uh, so this thing's gonna be, you know, a 15 hour day for three months. You know, you start to see relationships fall apart at that point. You start to see health degrade. I've got a lot of friends that have been grips and key grips for years and their bodies start to fall apart because you're not getting that sleep. Not to mention when you have to turn over and you gotta go from day, from day to night and the turnaround times and all that stuff. And there was quite a lot of accidents that happened in the industry. Crew people that fell asleep just going home after a 15 hour shoot on the road and dying. Accidents that happened on set. Um, it's a big deal. And so I understand it. It makes sense that uh, you would rally for these things, especially when you see in theory how much money is being made on all this stuff. And you're like, well, if you guys are making that much money, it would only cost you this much more. Why is that a thing? Well, go back and look at the origins of the industry, right? It's always been that way. Why did they come out to California? 50% less than what they were paying on the East Coast, right? And then why would they ship their post-production overseas? Why would you ship your post-production to India, right? There, there are apps and websites that help clients get in touch with, I would say, sweatshop labor, especially for post-production. It's crazy too, right? Yeah. So it was interesting. Not to go too deep down that hole, but I, I thought it would be interesting to let you guys know that what you're feeling right now, what a lot of the crew people, a lot of the union folks are dealing with right now has existed since this industry has started. And it, it feels like it, it just comes in waves where there's like some sort of excuse that shows up, some new... Uh, distribution model, some new uh, distribution method uh, that shows up and suddenly there's this like lull in between. Ah, it's just going online. It's not going on TV. So it's not an actual union piece. Yeah, but Hulu's ABC, NBC, right? Whatever the fuck it is. <laughs> yeah, but it's only online. So I'm not going to pay you the rates for that. And then at the end of the day, what is it? Is that, is that capitalism? Is that what that is? Uh, don't want to go down that road, but you know, how many of you uh, at home are like, mm, if I order this from Walmart, I can get it cheaper. If I go down to the actual hardware store, hmm, you know? So anyway, yeah, it was fun, fun trip. Uh, Santa Barbara ended up being cool. I don't know. Maybe I'd go back to stay in a hotel or something, but the uh, the actual location shut down too early for me and Gina. Like we just started our night and uh, we're like, let's keep going. And they're like, yeah, we close at nine. And it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> it's, granted, it was a Sunday, but still, all places close at nine. Um, 
so it was fun. It was a fun adventure. Came back and uh, uh, and I, ha- I realized I didn't have a fucking podcast. <laughs> uh, so luckily, uh, I did that music release. I've got a few of those on the queue. And uh, those are important for us because we love the, the men and women that uh, contribute music to the show. Huge fans of these folks. Um, and uh, as we go out to our ad reads... I want to showcase a new track. I just got a brand new track, hot off the press, uh, sent into my email from Knight Rider 87. Uh, so let's take a second and check out this new track. It is called Target Zero. You ready? Here it comes. So it is time to do some ad reads, and we're going to do a little bit different today than I usually do. Uh, we're going to showcase uh, the amazing support and the amazing products from uh, three of our biggest sponsors on the show. Uh, first is our good friends over at Puget Systems. Uh, I'm headed over to the website right now because I want to do it a little bit differently. Uh, at Puget Systems, computers should just work. We believe that computers should be a pleasure to purchase and own. Uh, they should get your job done and not be a hindrance. Uh, we make the machine, you make the magic. I like that, guys. Pretty good. Um, so they make machines for anything. The perfect hardware for your workflow, content creation, engineering, data science. Uh, we speak your language. Uh, I'm big in, obviously, into the content creation. I ended up hooking up with these guys early on um, when they started to get into this marketplace. And uh, let me tell you guys, they are fully committed to making machines that work for us. Um, You can go to their website, pewtersystems.com, select your primary software package. It's really smart that they do it this way. So you can go and select what software package you use. uh, And they have like After Effects Resolve, Unreal Engine, yes, the new Unreal Engine stuff. 
a Photoshop, uh, Premiere Pro, um, and you can get started from now. Let's see, if I click on, oh, and you can actually choose different categories, photography, post-production, 3D design, which is really great. If I click on photography, aha, they will start you out with a package, an Adobe Photoshop uh, building package, and then you can write to them and request a consultation. I highly recommend you do this. Uh, these guys love to help build specific machines for your needs. I love my computers. I've used them forever. Uh, I just had a listener of the show write to me, what was it, last week? And he's like, dude, I just built a monster machine from Puget. Thank you for sending me your, their way. And I'm like, tell them, tell them I sent you. <laughs> Let them know. Um, and so you should do the same. If you're looking to build a new computer, if you want something different, if you want something that is going to last, if you want real customer support, head on over to PugetSystems.com. Love these guys. Cannot If you guys are listening, cannot wait to hang out and have beers with you again soon. All right, let's go on over to our next sponsor's website, the dudes over Quasar Science. Uh, Quasar Science, they build the best LED light units in the industry. The most durable, the most reliable units in the industry. According to the website, creating art with fewer limitations, Quasar was started in 2012 in a dingy gold room on one of the oldest studio lots in Los Angeles, California by a group of local 728 studio electric lighting technicians. With over a hundred years of combined experience in lighting movie sets, we decided once and for all that cable was heavy and that we endeavored to lift less of it. <laughs> I love that. Yes, cable is heavy. If you've ever had to lift four odd, if you've ever had to lift and run fucking cable, it's a nightmare. And uh, if you're using LEDs, you don't have to run as much cable. You don't have to run generators. Um, it's great how much it's changed the world of lighting. Uh, they have a bunch of brand new units that I'm excited about. They have their Rainbow 2 unit, which is essentially a tube. It's a rainbow LED tube, um, but they have this new mounting system on the back, which is really fucking fascinating. It's got like a bunch of screw-in mounts, which is great, but it also has like this tripod plate that slides on the back, which makes it super easy to adjust the, the light along. Um, and uh, they have a double rainbow unit, which looks like it's just two lights in one. Um, and the prices are not bad. The actual rainbow unit itself is 500 bucks, guys. That's nothing for gear. Um, and I use these things for everything. I use these things for key lights. I use these things for edge lights. I use these things just to kick in some light. Uh, they can be chained together. They can be built into like large walls, light walls. Um, the options are limitless. So if you don't know what it is that I'm talking about, head on over to quasarscience.com. Um, and they have a bunch of really great resources up here uh, where they talk about lighting, uh, they talk about their gear, but they also talk about the industry. So let's see, let me take a look here. News and announcements, what's new? What's going on at Quasar? Quasar Science and Vitech Production Solutions joined forces. Ooh, this is new. We're excited. The future holds bring their knowledge and expertise to the table. So it looks like there was a merging, which is great. 
Um, fuck yeah, man. A lot of really good stuff. Head on over to Quasar Science, check it out. I have um, a bunch of their bicolor units and I also have some rainbow LED units and uh, I just used them on the last project. Love them. Check them out. Go to quasarscience.com. Also supporting the show, we're very happy to have these guys and their support, uh, Black Magic, Black Magic Design. Can you believe it? Head on over to blackmagicdesign.com and check out the ridiculous amount of amazing gear that these guys have. Stuff that we all drool over. This is the gear porn that you're looking at on Instagram. Um, let me see here. What do they say? Whatever it takes to give creative editors and designers the very best quality of tools, Blackmagic is dedicated to allowing the highest quality video to be affordable to everyone. So in the past, post-production and television industry can become truly creative. Um, so yeah, check them out. I have um, the new, uh, what is it, Cinema Pro 7 or Cinema Pro 6, rather, camera, which is really great. Um, I shot this whole last project on it, and I had a fucking blast. Yeah, it's the Blackmagic Cinema Pro 6K. Uh, really great rig, um, and uh, it came. I have mine set up with the Battery Pro Grip, which allows multiple batteries on the bottom of it. Um, I really like the fold-out screen, which is great, and I shot 6K and edited 6K, on my Puget system uh, without a problem. I had at least 15 tracks of video and I was just going through it in 6K, in 6K. So whatever codec they're using is pretty awesome for that. Um, let me cue some more music. I'm doing everything live today. So I have this running in the background. Um, definitely check it out, man. I really dig that camera. And then of course these guys are the DaVinci Resolve folks. Uh, so I'm very excited about that. The camera actually came with a free version of Resolve, which is super cool. Uh, and they're really pushing it as an editing platform. I haven't tried it as an editing platform yet, but there are people that work in the industry that love it. I'm still hooked on my Premiere platform stuff uh, and it's their stuff works perfectly with that. I just had to download a few codecs uh, so that I can run the raw right in Premiere. But what I love about it is that I was able to just use Lumetri in Premiere to do all my basic grades. And I was able to take LUTs and load LUTs onto my camera so that I can preview my LUTs on monitor, on the set. I could light, change the lighting, and see how it affected that LUT, which is important. And then when I got into post, I could just apply that LUT and just do my tweaks, uh, which was very helpful because I had stuff that was both shot color and black and white. And so you'd be incredibly surprised when you desaturate an image and you start to shift the uh, daylight and tungsten balance underneath that, how that changes the look of your black and white image. Really fucking interesting stuff. I should walk you guys through how I did the color grading on that. Um, but I love these dudes. Really great, I'm very happy, very proud to have them on the show and supporting the show. Thank you so much, Blackmagic Design. So go to blackmagicdesign.com, show your support, click the link below the episode. And uh, yeah, those are our sponsors. Let's get into some uh, music here. Uh, and uh, we'll come right back.
All right. Uh, so we're back into it. I've got a few more things to talk about before we wrap up today's episode. Um, but first, I just want to thank everybody that uh, has been leaving um, reviews and comments on the Apple Podcast app. Uh, these comments are so incredibly important for the show. It helps place us higher in the algorithm. Uh, it helps us get new listeners. But more importantly, it's a great place to get in touch with us with questions and uh, comments. So I'm going to start this because I haven't done this before. But I think it's more important that if you guys are communicating to me through the reviews than uh, how we've been priorly doing it. So I'm going to start this now. Write to me through the review system on Apple Podcasts. Even if you guys are using Spotify, if you have it on your phone, just add us to Apple Podcasts. And all you have to do is scroll down to the bottom of the uh, the episode list, which isn't that far. And it will show you the ratings and reviews. And in there, you can leave us reviews. You can leave us comments. What I'd like to hear from you guys is what is your favorite? What is your favorite car movie? That's what I want to know. You know, is it Road Warrior? Road Warrior is a good one. Is it Bullet? Is it Fast and Furious? One through nine. <laughs> What's your favorite car movie and why? What do you love about it? And what do you love about the car in that movie? Like I said, go to Apple Podcasts, scroll down to the review section, say something shitty or nice about the show, and then leave me what you think is your, your favorite car movie. Super easy to do while you're at it, rate the show. Um, but, you know, I'm going to respond to you guys there. All right. And what I'll do is I'll read on uh, the next episode, the episode after that. If I can remember, I will. I'll make a note. Uh, I'll read this on the show. And uh, while I'm here now, because I'm staring at it, I'm just going to read you some of our great reviews that we've had so far. Uh, let's see. Ba -ba -ba -bum. Uh, this is from Filthy Will. Mike does a great interview and the show lives up to its name. If you're in love with the process of making films, this is worth checking out. I like the way you work the title in there. Nice. Uh, good guests, really interesting discussions and lots of insight. You'll learn, you'll laugh, you'll be inspired. Uh, you'll also listen to me uh, cough and forget what I'm saying. You know, <laughs> no, great review. Thank you so much. Uh, another solid review uh, from Logan. Mike is honest and transparent. Uh, let's start this again. Mike doesn't know how to read. Mike's honesty and transparent approach to the film industry gives such fresh insight into both the struggles and the payoffs of pursuing such a career path. Put on your noise-canceling headphones, nice one, or just listen in the car like I do and dive in. You won't regret it. Hell yeah. Uh, let me go back to some older ones here. Do, 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 do. Uh, one second. Oh, here we go. In love with the process has been a recent find for me. I listen to a lot of filmmaking and craft-based podcasts and enjoy many of them, 
but few get really obsessed with the details the way ILWP does, and I'm thankful for that. That's just because I'm a fucking crazy guy that, you know, his brain runs 100 miles an hour and I get obsessed about shit. Uh, This podcast is wonderful, even if you're not a filmmaker. Guests include chefs, firefighters, musicians, influencers, and more. The process is the focus and the hard work ethic that you have to have to pursue the career in craft. Ah, thanks, dude. Um, yeah, I hope it's more than that too. I mean, look, uh, I know I end up on tangents on the show. I end up like falling down into holes and, and you know, what you guys are getting, what the show really is, is it just, it's like a straight line IV from what I'm emotionally feeling in the moment. And, uh, this business we've talked about it. It's bipolar up and down, left and right. You never fucking know where gravity is. You don't know what's happening or when it's happening. One second you're hot, one second you're not. You're high on doing a project and you're nervous about that project and you're running through it and the next thing you know, you're done and you're depressed. Um, It's just the business and uh, I will always unapologetically just sort of give you what I'm feeling in the moment um, because I feel like you need to hear it. We have been fed for too far too long the the Instagram filtered version of what being a creative is like, of what being a director is like, of what being a filmmaker is like, what being a photographer is like, of what being any of this is like. It isn't all fucking shiny rainbow shit. And when it is, it's fantastic and we should celebrate it. When you have that opportunity to make something that's really great, or if you have a great experience on a set, or if you make a great fucking meal, or if you get to hang out and meet some new interesting people, or more importantly, your view on the world and life is slightly altered by a great fucking conversation, then take a moment and celebrate that. Celebrate that, because that's what it's all about, right? It's all about that shit. It's those moments where we don't have to just be solely communicating with that crazy motherfucker that is in our brains, that that inner voice. That thing that was built for us as kids, that defense mechanism, this is why that's not happening. And and we live and define ourselves and define our actions by this early shaping that, that happens with us. And for a hot second, it's so nice to actually get out of your head, not hear that that voice and to talk to someone else. And that's why I love bar safaris. That's why I love barbecues. That's why I love hanging out. That's why I like movie making. That's why I like creative work is that I get to hang out with folks that have really great opinions on life and really cool life experiences and very inspiring things to say and to talk about. And that's, that's what I try to make this show. That's what I want this show to be. I don't want it to be pigeonholed into, this is how you make movies. And I know a lot of you listening to the show are, are here for that. And uh, I'm trying to make it more about the prior, you know, about the celebration of that brief, brief fucking moment where I'm not turning to that fucking inner voice. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, okay, let's see. We're going to wrap this thing up soon. Oh, what else is going on? I am reading on on a book, audio book app. I'm not going to give the name because fuck that with the sponsorship stuff. But I'm reading right now this book called A Thousand Naked Strangers. Spending so much time in close quarters. 
stranger. I love this book. Um, it's really great. Um, it is uh, <clears throat> written by Kevin Hazard, and it is a paramedic's wild ride to the edge and back. And it's one of the more realistic, honest uh, insights into the world of being a paramedic in the world of being an EMT. And uh, I'm very close to the subject material because my brother's been one for years. I've been able to do ride-alongs. I've been able to sort of examine it. I love the stories from these guys. Uh, at some point, I'd love to tell the stories of these guys. Um, great book. Uh, he's a EMT or was an EMT. I think he got started around like 2002, 2004 uh, in, in Atlanta. And uh, he talks about uh, the, the, the struggle that is needed, the schooling that is needed, and more importantly, the ride along and the strange lives and the job that they meet and that they get to do. Um, and the odd individual that uh, it takes to be an EMT or be a paramedic or to be an emergency response person. Uh, it's a great book. I'm fucking really digging it. So if you guys are looking for something to read or to listen to, uh, check out A Thousand Naked Strangers by uh, Kevin Hazard. And um, it is narrated, surprisingly, um, it was narrated by George Newburn. And I fucking love this guy's voice. This is like the third book I've heard him narrate. Um, and it was like such a wonderful surprise to hear his voice and be like, oh, I love this guy. This book's going to be great. <laughs> um, which is funny because it's like listening to audiobooks is like watching old anime, you know, dubbed anime. Uh, and I remember falling in love. How many of you guys watched uh, Ghost in the Shell? Like the original Ghost in the Shell movie. Uh, and they had an English dub version. And then the whole TV series, they got the same actress uh, to do the voice of, uh, you know, the major. And I fucking loved her voice. And for years, she was the voice of major. And then they did a couple of new uh, see, uh, series of it, and she no longer does it. And I'm like, hmm, okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, great book. Definitely check it out. I am, how far am I? Holy shit, I'm halfway. Yesterday, I had to do... Um, I had a bunch of podcasts I had to listen to. There's a couple screenwriting podcasts that I'm listening to right now. Um, I'll give them a plug. Hold on a sec. Um, because I'm prepping stuff. So I wanted to get that in my head. Who did I just listen to? Oh my God. Sorry, guys. I just lost it. Hold on. I'll tell you in three seconds here. Um, Oh, The Screenwriting Life uh, with Megan Lauren. And I listened to episode 49 yesterday. That's a great episode. Um, and then um, while I had to listen to all this content, I'm like, well, I should just do some some housework. And so I <laughs> spent the day like Cinderella scrubbing our kitchen floor. We have like this stone kitchen floor with grouting that gets really dirty in between. So I was on my hands and knees yesterday for about apparently four hours cleaning yesterday um, but it was great i got to listen to that podcast and i got to listen to more of this book which i'm loving um i'm probably gonna jump on the bike when i'm done with this episode and and uh bang out at least another hour on it um but what are you guys reading what are you guys listening to 
let me know. Uh, definitely leave me some comments. Like I said, reach out through the, the review section. Leave me some comments in the review section um, of the Apple Podcast app. And uh, you guys can always reach me on Instagram as well, but I will respect you more <laughs> if you're doing it in the review section. Can you tell what I'm doing here? I'm trying to fucking like drag you guys into that area. Because if you guys start communicating with me through that spot, then it helps the algorithm. So I'll get in touch with you. And I haven't been able to get to everybody on Instagram. I have so many comments coming in on Instagram these days that uh, those of you who haven't still heard back from me, I'm sorry. I'm still weeding my way through stuff. I was on vacation, um, but I will get back to you sooner if you leave comments on the review section of Apple Podcasts. How's that? Uh, All right. I think that's it. I think that's going to do it. Where are we at? Oh, hour 15. Yeah, we're good. Um, thank you everybody for listening. I am uh, in the process of booking new guests. Uh, so hopefully, uh, the next week after this, we'll have a new guest on the show. We'll see which one it's going to be. I've got a bunch of people lined up, but in the meantime, as always, make sure you head on over to inlovewiththeprocess.com and go through our older episodes. I got to tell you this right now, before we leave, I am incredibly happy with all of the new listeners of this show because I'm looking at our numbers right now. I drop an episode every Tuesday, right? So our numbers peak on uh, Tuesdays and Wednesdays, but it's so fascinating to watch how many of you new listeners are just going back and listening to all the older episodes. Thank you so much for your support. Thank you for doing that. Um, I notice. And, uh, you know, you start looking at our numbers. Let me see who's killing it right now. Uh, Explorer. Bear with me as I go through our double secret uh, number section here. Let's see. Insights. Show me some insights. Uh, Come on. All right, you fucking, come on, website, insights. All right, last 30 days. Let's see what's going on here. Oh, we've been doing well. You guys really liked the uh, movies to watch episode. I'm happy you guys enjoyed that one. All the damn vampires has been doing really well as as well, as well, as well. Uh, Let's see what else is killing it right now. Uh, did you guys check out the episode 148 storyboardings for storyboarding for Spielberg, Raimi, and Wu with uh, Doug, Doug Leffler? Jesus Christ, here's that sleep that not that's not here. Uh, that episode's been doing well. You guys should go check that out. Uh, the episode 147, uh, taking a leap of faith, uh, with Eduardo and Cruda. That one's killing it right now. That one is uh, goes into the last thing Mary saw, which is a an upcoming horror movie that you guys are gonna fucking love. If you guys like The Witch, you're gonna love this movie. Um, I don't think it's out yet, but uh, brace yourself. And that's how how on it we are. We're ahead of the curve. Um, of course, episode one forty five, interdimensional psychotherapy with Mr. Ryan Conley from Film Riot. And myself, 
That episode is destroying right now. You guys really love that one. Uh, and uh, Stop Making Music Videos the Wrong Way, uh, where I played some of the uh, hard to find Zarface tracks. That one's also killing it. So if you haven't seen these episodes yet, go to inlovewiththeprocess.com. I have them all curated there by subject material. Super easy to choose the episode that you want to listen to. And I know you guys do it because I see the numbers, man. So big shout out to all of you who have been listening to prior episodes. Get them in while you can. Um, because I think as I approach the new year, uh, and as we approach 200 episodes, I may start capping off the older episodes that you can listen to. Because uh, we need to make a little bit of loot on the show. I may actually charge for some older episodes, archival episodes. So get them in while you can. Um, yeah, that's it. Fuck it. Let's wrap it up. Uh, very happy that you guys were hanging out with me today. And uh, as always, I'll see you next Tuesday. And let me leave you with my good buddy Martin from Code Electro. <laughs>